electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in Fast, Apple beats the street thanks to its services sales, but revenue declined for the third straight quarter, its longest slump since 2016. All the details on that quarter coming up. Plus, Amazon popping on a big beat, sales growing double digits, and the company giving optimistic guidance will go inside those numbers straight ahead. Later, bond bet as rates on Treasury surge. Noted hedge fund manager Bill Ackman believes the 30-year won't stop heading higher until it hits 5.5%. We'll break down his bet. And turbulence in the travel trade. Shares of Expedia plunging more than 16%. Is this another sign that the post-pandemic travel boom is running out of gas? We'll break that down. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Courtney Garcia, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a huge slate of earnings. Apple and Amazon headlining the after-hours action. We've also got results from Block, Coinbase, DraftKings, Airbnb. They are all on the move. Full team coverage on all these names. Deirdre Bosa, Kate Rooney, and Contessa Brewer are standing by. But we start off with Steve Kobach in Apple's big quarter. Steve. Yeah, Melissa, it is, like you said, the third quarter in a row of falling sales with revenue still beating um, estimates, but uh, down 1% year on year. So revenues coming in at $81.8 billion. Street was looking for $81.69 billion. Um, and the EPS was a bigger beat there, $1.26 versus the $1.19 expected. Um, but iPhone, slight miss uh, coming in at $39.67 billion, just a couple hundred million uh, short of expectations there. But of course, the story story today is going to be services hitting a new record up 8% year on year growth accelerating there booking 21.21 billion dollars in revenue there and gross margin I want to point out the expansion there uh, also beating expectations 44.5% gross margin and it's up from 43% a year ago quarter so services really helping out there and I got to speak to Tim Cook about these results uh, about an hour or so ago and talking about what really drove those uh, services results we're seeing here um, and basically reversing some of the trends we've seen. Here's what he told me. Um, advertising has definitely accelerated from before and the app store has definitely accelerated from before. So a reverse of that trend we've seen over the last couple quarters, slow down in advertising, slow down in app store spending. And then I also uh, picked his brain a little bit about AI and the latest thinking of how that technology will play in at Apple. Um, here's what he told me, quote, We've been doing research on AI and machine learning, including generative AI for years, adding later that quote, and we're going to continue investing and innovating and rolling these things into products that enrich people's lives, end quote. Also telling me, you know, products like the Vision Pro just wouldn't be able to exist without the AI and machine learning technology that Apple has developed. Um, and then I also had to ask him about the Fitch downgrade. Of course, we've heard from a couple other executives like Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon kind of brushing off concerns there. And Tim Cook sounding the same, telling me it's not something uh, he's deeply concerned about. Melissa, back to you. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac. Um, let's trade this. You know, it, it is important to keep in mind that we're, you know, Apple in the after hour session is about $10 away from a record high. 
Mm-hmm. So we are very still close right. <laughs> to that high. But we have the call. Right. Yeah, we, we always have the caution. Call. Wait for the call. They could say a lot of other things. I mean, I think that it it was a, v- a very good quarter, a lot to like, tiny miss and iPhones. Um, service is great, as Steve said, and obviously the margin there is, I don't know, triple or w- whatever. It very much adds to the gross margin average. And um, Greater China was actually, I thought, a little bit stronger, I think. Um, it was. It was uh, up 6.7 percent. Yeah. 6. And, and consensus, I mean, it was it's nearly down. $2 billion, like greater than what consensus was. Sorry to just... Right. So I think put all that together, though, and um, at this price, you had to have a, a very good quarter. So is it good enough? I don't know. I mean, it's okay the market's telling you, well, we don't know what yet to make of it. It wasn't a giant beat, maybe a little revenue, but, you know, EPS beat. But let's see what they have to say. And let's see how they, um, you know, I don't know that they'll give great forward guidance that we can really count on. But I want to hear the tone. I want to hear that, you know, how they feel about business. I guess my point about the record high was that, I, you know, you would think maybe that Apple would see a bigger sell-off, given it wasn't Oh, given that it was already. It uh, wasn't a perfect quarter. Okay. And we were so close still to record highs. I think that's a fair point. I think the fact that now services are 25% of overall revenue is great. I mean, that's the highest number I think we've ever seen. It would be greater if it was doing it on revenues that were increasing sequentially, but revenues, which is fine. I'm not going to sort of, I want to equivocate here, but I'll say this. In terms of valuation, it's an expensive stock given the metrics that we're seeing. Again, single-digit EPS growth, high single-digit, single-digit earnings growth, high single digit against a stock that's probably trading close to 30 times next year's numbers. So the question is, is it in the stock now? Now, I thought that was the case a while ago, and here we are. I think a logical place for the stock to trade down to, to sort of um, amplify what you're saying, is sort of that prior all-time high of like 176 or 177 or so, which isn't crazy. And in the context of what we've seen historically with Apple, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Courtney? Yeah, I think realistically, and, and I think we've all echoed this, but Apple is pretty expensive. So I think at these valuations, realistically, one of two things has to happen. Multiples have to come down or earnings have to come up. And I think the reason the stock probably isn't really moving a lot right now is they get a lot of their business from slowing markets, right? PC demand and phone demand has actually been coming down. We saw that with Qualcomm. They were actually having some negative news there, which I think people were expecting that with Apple. But I think seeing how much their services is making up for that, I think that's actually really what people are liking to see here, and we're gonna have to see how much. That in China is the big story with them. So the fact that they had beats there, even though they're missing in other places, I think is why people are not as as negative on this right now. It's interesting. I mean, we've had a lot of time to digest uh, that Taiwan Semi, you know, guide yeah. and, and, you know, Apple's a 23 percent customer. And to your point, what we saw out of Qualcomm and, you know, you'd say that, you know, they missed on iPhone and, you know, like, it wasn't a great quarter. But they also know that in September they're going to introduce the iPhone 15. So I don't think it's the sort of thing that investors are not going to hit the sell button on and that sort of uh, miss. I agree on China. It's really good. I mean, if you're trying to figure out what the bugaboos could be, that would clearly um, be one of them. You know, I'm sure the dollar weakness has probably been helpful um, to them. We know how much sales they get outside the U.S. But I'm kind of with Guy on this one. I I just don't know why you would buy this stock at 32 times here, given the sort of growth rates that we have. Obviously, that, you know, that that 
increasing and, and Gene's going to talk about this and I've heard him talk about a lot about it. And he's been totally right on this. It's like if they can continue to grow this iOS installed base and the services continues to become a greater part of the revenue and that's better for the mix shift with margins like that's the story from here on out and anything else that they introduced a new product that actually takes off the way AirPods did or something like that is just gravy, you know, so and the advertising stuff. I, I hope Gene talks a little bit about that because that's been a really good lever for Amazon. We know that their retail business is not particularly great. But look at all these companies that were not relying on advertising. Netflix is another one. It's a good business, especially if you have the eyeballs and you have the credit cards of the people there and everything like that. So to me, um, it's fine. I have a small put position in the Apple. Um, Carter showed us a chart um, that it finally a perfect 45 degree angle. OK, a perfect 45. It just broke it the other day. I don't think this is a good enough quarter to keep this stock going back towards those prior highs. But in terms of commentary, Karen, what do you want to hear from them in terms in terms of the tone or, or specific areas? I mean, I would like to hear a little bit more about China. Mm-hmm. What do you see more recently after the quarter right. closed, especially when there were some okay. concerns about incentives and promotional activity in yes. China to get those sales up? I want to hear that. And also, I mean, how much are they continue? How are they? Are they? How much of the business is being manufactured? Rather, how much of the products are being manufactured? Also, is that the plan? That's got to be expensive in the short term to do. And then the AI is both how much they're going to spend on it mm-hmm. and how they think they could generate revenue. It's not quite as clear to me, but they will find a way, I think. Earlier this week, Terry Gao, the founder of Foxconn, said that if war broke out between China and Taiwan, it would be catastrophic for U.S. stocks. Foxconn's a huge supplier of Apple. What are your thoughts on that? That would be my question. See the way I did? That was pretty good. Oh. Actually sounded like I halfway intelligent there. But that would be my question, and it's legit. If you go back and listen to what he said, he is clearly concerned. Kyle Bass talks about it all the time. There's been this escalation. The United States just gave $345 million worth of military aid to Taiwan. I mean, this isn't getting better. It's getting worse. We're not talking about it, and I don't hope this to happen, but clearly something is going on. Well, the hope is they transition off their manufacturing to India in the meantime. It takes time. Before this sort of war, if it happens, happens. But that is a risk. It's clearly been a risk. Yeah, and actually, it's funny you bring up India, because actually that's also one of their big markets right now where they're starting to get more into. And I think that's something that could be a larger long-term catalyst for them is if they can get more into the iPhone space in India, which is a much younger um, population and a very growing population right now. That actually could be a catalyst for them, too. I think it's still early, but it'll be interesting to see if there's anything there. All right, Apple stock down 1.4% ahead of the call. Uh, Let's meantime get to the other big tech earnings report. Amazon popping in the after hours on a top and a bottom line beat. The tech company also forecasting growth will accelerate further in the current quarter. CBC's Deidre Bose has got the details. Debo. Mel, the takeaway here, better efficiency in the core e-commerce business, leading to better profitability overall. And importantly, stabilization in AWS, that is sending shares soaring. I just got off the phone with CFO Brian Olsowski, who said that they are seeing stabilization at the current 12% growth rate in AWS. And that is, of course, down from more than 30% a few quarters ago and at lower margins. But perhaps some relief or optimism here that it will not fall into the single digits. That's what investors were worried about. Also, this idea that generative AI will require more compute power and thus give Amazon's cloud business a boost in the future. Also underpinning the gains in the after hours is guidance prime day. Remember, it falls in the current quarter Q3 and the company is expecting between $138-$140 billion in sales. That's better than expected. Also better than expected operating income between $5.5 and $8.5 billion. That's a significant pickup considering they were delivering net losses just last year. The company will point to regionalization as the main driver of that. They spent huge, remember, to double their logistics network over the pandemic 
Regionalization is the process of making it more efficient, more profitable, leading to faster delivery times, which they've been touting. Olsatsky also telling me that he's pleased with the progress, but he sees more opportunity to drive more cost efficiency. Back over to you, Mel. Debo, thanks. Deidre Bosa. Um, you said that Carter had made a bold call yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid he was of Apple selling Apple and buy, and buy this Amazon. one. He's good. That guy. Carter Rack. The best. Mm-hmm. He is on Pantheon, the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, there, there you go. Both of them. You know, you know, it's funny, and, and I, I love it when he comes on and we're talking about, like, the quarter and this and that, whatever, and then he refers to him as the funny mentals. He doesn't care about that. He cares about the pictures, right? And so, like, this was one he just said it was consolidating here a bit. We know the sentiment wasn't particularly great relative to some of the other cloud players when we saw what Microsoft, Microsoft. has been able to do and what Google Cloud's been able to do, and Debo just said it. I mean, that's part of the story, seeing stabilization, telling a story about how their customers are going to be using these tools and more compute, that sort of thing. I, I, I totally get it. I'm not chasing it here. I don't think you have to chase any of these stocks here. I don't think, like, you had all the time in the world if you wanted to buy Amazon, you know, over the last six months or so, and I don't think there's that much of this kind of AI pixie dust in there. If they can stabilize this AWS, regain some share against some of these other players, um, you know, these guys have been investing billions of dollars in machine learning for, like, over a decade. I mean, they're going to be just fine as it relates to AI over the next 10 years. What we've learned about Amazon is they can turn the dials when they want to. And I'll give you through operating, 5.7% operating margins were crazy compared to distributors at 3.6. And year over year, it's up from, I think, 2.7%. Obviously, the market likes that. But if our crack staff in EC, mm-hmm. that's Englewood Cliffs, could do a year-long chart, go back to August of last year, you will notice that this 140 level-ish is where actually we stopped at this time last year. So... If you were long the stock, if you listen to Carter Braxton work, this is a logical place to take money off the table. Yeah, they could benefit from AI, but they also have to spend for yes, AI. Yes, they do, right. And so um, I think, though, the street will have a lot of patience for the spend mm-hmm. if they can start to show. They don't even show how big if they can start to show. And then maybe this is starting to show a little bit, right? Um, remember there was that interview with Andrew Jassy where... Um, they were saying, you're late. You seem late to the party. And he's like, you know what, this is, we're in the inning two or whatever it was, very early. So uh, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's not cheap. Uh, I'm long. I'm staying long. Even, even I don't love going against Carter, but it's just also funny to me, the $53 billion part of the business is, you know, a nice little part of the story. It was better, but not so relevant, which is kind of amazing how extraordinary, huge this business. You're with, you're with Carter. Oh, is Carter long, long Amazon? He's long of. Yeah, long Apple, of I'm going to be called yeah. away, and I'll yeah. probably, that'll be it. <laughs> Court, what did you make of the quarter? Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is very impressive, especially after Microsoft really warned of a slowdown here in their computing uh, business. This is very impressive. I do agree with Dan, though. I wouldn't be chasing these things. I think this is a fantastic. I think it's trading up for very good reasons because it is beating expectations. Uh, but it is very expensive. The good news is it is a, a very high portion of the S&P 500. So when Apple and Amazon do well, you're going to see the overall markets do well. But, yeah, I wouldn't be chasing it here and not at these levels. For more on Amazon and Apple's big earnings, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's the managing partner of Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to see you. I don't know where you want to start. We've got so much to deal with tonight. Um, let's oh, go with Amazon here. Is it worth this 8% pop? It is, and ultimately, Debo framed it in perfectly, is that that AWS stability commentary was powerful. That leads investors to look for accelerating AWS growth in the back half of the year. And then separately, what we saw in the profitability, that shift to earnings, I think that's an important, powerful uh, segment that has not been part of Amazon's story. If we look back over the last seven years, the average EBITDA margin on their retail business is 2.6%. 
if they can add some efficiency to that, this can be a 5% business. This is a segment that investors have longly uh, forgotten about, uh, the retail opportunity. So I think that's a big piece, a big opportunity relative to where Amazon is today. I would say this, uh, Mel, is that uh, Amazon had a better quarter tonight than Apple. Uh, it's pretty clear to me Apple was in line. But if you look at Apple versus Amazon and which of those two companies to own for the next five years, mm. I would take Apple over Amazon in a heartbeat. Or would you rather if you mm. wow. by Gene He Monster. allowed to do that. I guess he is. Yeah, just he's did. in the Parathenon. <laughs> but but why? But, I mean, is Amazon going to be just lumpier? I mean, we've seen this, you know, they turn the spigot, they turn it off again and again and again. And so it's a little bit more of a roller coaster and Apple's sort of been steady Eddie. You said the, those, they're the perfect uh, words there. Lumpy is not good for investor confidence. Steady is. And Apple hit it right at the top. Dan mentioned I was going to say something about this, and you read my mind, is that uh, the, the key takeaway from Apple's quarter isn't the results. It's that, that active install base grew. They said that in the headline. They know how important this is. That means that the business, the flywheel is working. That means that the business has continued to be steady, and that is uh, opportunity for a multiple expansion. I know that sounds hard to believe, but the second piece, and the, your uh, astute panel has been orbiting this topic, but I want to put some uh, finer point on it, Melissa, is the India opportunity. China in 2010 was a $3 billion business. In 2016, it was a $59 billion business. It grew basically $55 billion over six years, now 19% of total sales. India today is about a $12 billion business. It's 3% of revenue. If it gets to the same size as China over the next six, seven years, that alone, India alone, can add 3% annual revenue growth to Apple Store for the next seven years. This company doesn't need to grow at 15% for investors to be happy. If it can nail between 5 and 7%, I think the stock continues to move higher, and they can do a lot of that on the backbone of India. Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on tonight. Um, so you said Apple multiple actually could be higher, even though that maybe sounds kind of surprising. Where should the multiple be? It's pretty high. It's high. I'll let uh, kind of the broader investors put that together. I would just say this. There's no other company that has the stability that Apple has and the optionality around revenue growth. I put this in the same category of Procter Gamble, uh, Coca-Cola, Clorox, those kind of steady consumer staples. But none of those have the upside uh, opportunity. We haven't even talked about Vision Pro. Uh, don't get me started. Uh, I've used the device. I think this is something that's going to be additive. It's going to be a few years from now, not to mention if they do something in automotive. And those other consumer staple companies don't even, they're not even uh, uh, close to that conversation. So I'm looking at this over the next three to five years and thinking about where the conversation is going to go. And I think when you put that together, it warrants a higher multiple. So, Gene, let's talk at Amazon for a second here. When you, when you think about AWS and, you know, accounting for 70 percent of their, um, you know, of the base of their operating profit. OK. And we know that we just saw on the retail side, Guy just mentioned the operating margin better on the retail. What excites you more about this story is maybe the operating margins getting better on the retail front or a stabilization in the AWS. And they see a really nice growth trajectory as there's a lot of excitement in and around demand for their compute as a relates to AI, or are they both really good? I'm more excited about retail. I understand that that is a, a standard deviation, a light year away from what most investors are talking about today. Retail is 75% of their business. I talked about the margin profile over the past five years, 2.5%. It was 4% last quarter. 
if they can sustain 5% plus with some of these efficiencies that they're starting to drive in, the, in their distribution, you can uh, kind of circle back to the retail business being an exciting part of the story. And I buried the headline is that retail units grew 9% year over year. It was 8% year over year in the previous quarter. And that's with all the proper comps with Prime Day and um, that those Prime Day all hits in the September quarter. So uh, ultimately, I think the retail business is uh, is the crown jewel of Amazon and hasn't had the flash that uh, AWS has. But ultimately, that's, I think, what's going to drive shares higher in the long term. I still uh, positive on Amazon. I would take Apple ahead of Amazon, though. Gene, thanks. Uh, catch up with you a little bit later on in the show after you jump on those conference calls. Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management. Would, would you agree with Gene, Apple over Amazon? Yeah, Lynn, that time frame? Yeah. Absolutely. And now, but a shorter time frame? Our show's a shorter, shorter time frame. And, you know, what we mentioned is that prior high in Apple, I think, was 178-ish from December of 2021. I don't think it's unreasonable to think the stock can go back there. We have seen sell-offs larger than that in terms of magnitude many times before in Apple. was Again, the quarter is fine. We're not, it's a great, all those things are great. It's about trading the stock in the here and now, and I think it goes to 176 before it goes back to whatever that prior high was, 198 or so. Mm-hmm. All right, coming up. There's still a lot more earnings action coming your way. Block, Coinbase, Airbnb, DraftKings all on the move. We've got the details in the quarters ahead. And speaking of earnings, shares of Expedia dropping after its report this morning is a travel trade in for more turbulence. We'll break that down when Fast Money returns. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money, a pair of earnings alerts in the fintech space. A beat for Block briefly boosted the stock, but shares are falling into the red. Gross payment volume slowed during the quarter. Shares of Coinbase also volatile in the after-hours session. The company beat on the top of the bottom lines. Kate Rooney joins us now to break down the results. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Let's start with Block, that company upping its full-year forecast thanks to recent cost-cutting. The stock turning a bit lower, which appears to be about slower growth in its July update. Payment volume was also a slight miss. Jack Dorsey's payment company expects to see positive adjusted operating income for the full year, had previously forecasted a loss there, and it's upping its full year adjusted EBITDA guidance. As far as that July update, guys, it's looking for 21% gross profit growth, a report of that, which was down from what it saw in the second quarter. Gross profit for Cash App, meanwhile, was up 37% in the quarter. It now has 54 million monthly transacting users, or MTUs. That was up 15% year-over-year. CFO Amrita Ahuja pointing to some of the growth and saying that that was 
uh, thanks to some of the strength on their banking side and those offerings, as well as cost-cutting and efficiency there. On to Coinbase, a narrower-than-expected loss for the second quarter. Revenue also coming in above expectations. Stock coming off that initial pop a little bit. Trading for the quarter was muted, as expected. Spot trading down 48% in the quarter. Monthly transacting users fell 19%. Consumer trading or retail trading volume, that was down 70%, while institutional volume was down about 54%. Interest income for the stable coin that they partner on, USDC, was also down, while the take rate is up. So ha- helping profitability a little bit there. CFO Alicia Haas telling me we've navigated down markets before. She says this is just par for the course. She says they can handle the volatility. Regulatory uncertainty, of course, still a big overhang for this name. Coinbase plans to file a motion to dismiss the SEC's case against it tomorrow. Back to you. And, and Kate, just remind us, the SEC case is 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 basically to delist a bunch of coins from its platform. Yeah, it's about operating an unregistered securities exchange. It has to do with these tokens that Coinbase offers to trade as being securities, whereas Coinbase has argued, no, they're not. And that's really the the crux of the argument there. SEC has said essentially everything other than Bitcoin is a security. You didn't register. And Coinbase is saying, well, we went public. You you saw our S1 at the time and you said everything was okay." So it's become more symbolic for the entire industry. Um, so they're really, it seems like they're fighting on behalf of the entire crypto industry and other exchanges, um, as well as obviously for, for themselves there. But they're taking another shot at the SEC and looking for, for the judge in this case uh, to dismiss that. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. Yep. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney, uh, 21% shares uh, are, float, are short. Short, yeah. yeah. Well, so the stock ran 150% from the day that the SEC filed that suit, okay, right. in May until just recent highs, and it's come off in, in, into that, which is truly astounding when you think about it. It's held a bunch of those gains, and the stock's up today because of that loss that is less than expected. This company is not supposed to turn a profit until 2027 on a gap basis until 2028. So in the market that we've just lived in over the last few years, and we're going to talk about Block in a second, and PayPal was a bit of a disaster, and, you know, like, like the fintech that were the darlings in 2020, all the dynamics about the pull forward during the pandemic and everything, but then the deceleration in the year or so prior, these things can't get out of their way. I don't think Coinbase makes a lot of sense here, given the regulatory overhang, given the risk to their businesses, given the lack of profitability there. So to me, I'm, I'm shocked that the stock is up after the, the close here. I mean, those forecasts are made on the assumption that they will have all those tokens Correct. on their platform still. And imagine if they are left with nothing but Bitcoin. I mean, that really, you know, I would think takes away a big pillar of, of their model. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with Dan. I can't really even get to get close to where that is. Yeah. But I wonder just really quickly, you know, they talked about like losing customers. I mean, Bitcoin's had a good quarter. Like, yeah. If you look yeah, at it, you know what right. I mean? So like, I'm just, it has the luster kind of lost for the asset a little bit, you know, so I don't know. Coming up, the earnings just won't stop. Airbnb and DraftKings still on the docket. All the numbers out of those companies still ahead. But first, is there turbulence coming for the travel trade? Expedia's big drop and what it could mean for the entire space in two. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. 
Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome back to Fast Money. Trouble trouble in the travel trade as shares of Expedia dropped more than 16% after its earnings report this morning. That was its worst one-day loss since before the pandemic. The company beating on profit but falling short of expectations in revenue and gross bookings. Expedia CEO Peter Kern saying domestic air travel softened but that international airfares remain strong. So what does this say about demand for travel? We know that the airlines in general are, are doing okay. It flies in the fa- We had Linda uh, Bibbins on. I, 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 I tried to sneak that in there. I tried to land that. He talked, about, he talked about airports being more crowded than yeah. they were in 2019. 40 million, I think, people were talking. So that flies in the face, again, of what they're saying here. So the question is, how do you trade Expedia? Or more importantly, what does it mean for the airlines? That Delta had that huge move giving it back. We've heard from some airlines. They haven't traded particularly well. I think you've got to find a spot. If Tim were here, we'd say the airlines are the best trade stocks to trade out there. He's right. In the case of a Delta, for example, stock gets back to 41. You buy it again and look for that subsequent move higher. Are you in the travel trade at all, Court? Yeah, actually, I, I think travel has actually looked very enticing here, which I think is why it's surprising how how much Expedia has missed this expectation. But I think the biggest thing for them was it was expected that the next quarter, which does tend to be the busiest travel quarter, um, people were expecting over 10 percent expectations and they they're saying high single digits now and that's really what people are not excited about but it does contrast with what some of the airlines are saying and i would actually focus on the airlines more so than expedia in this case okay. well thinking of the airline differential is international travel which is that really high margin yeah. travel or business mm-hmm. travel and if you look at something like love that was down today that might be the travel that's exactly what's getting hit right um love and jet blue had difficult right. quarters yes yeah I think, right, I'm going to say it. I think you just buy Expedia. It's trading at nine times next year's mm. earnings. And this is a company that's going to actually do, like, if you go back to 2019, pre-pandemic, right, they earned $6.15. This year, they're expecting to earn $9.13. They're going to be at a peak revenue number. They're getting above those numbers. So they're more profitable on the same amount. They have an 85% gross margin. It's trading at nine times next year's expected earnings, which are going to grow double digit. This is why I'm like confounded in this market. I'm attracted. The other day I said, PayPal, you want to buy this thing? Do yeah. it with calls. I would define my risk, that sort of thing. I'm attracted to the cra- the things that trade like crap because they trade at good value. And I can see a, a, a scenario where this stock could come back and be a real force. And then if you look, I, I don't get it. I, I mean, to me, it looks like a buy here. I love optimistic, sense? Dan. No, I, I know. But right? I'm optimistic, but I'm just like, ah, I can yes. beat around. I'm like, ah, pay, you know. I'm. Did you change <laughs> at all on PayPal based on the quarter? No. I mean, I, you know, just buy it again. It's fine. It'll fill in the gap. All, listen, all these stocks that are good names with good value, they fill in their gaps, people. That's why you don't always have to be set up in front of the earnings, right, if you're trading, that sort of thing. Wait, disappoint. We do it with a snap all the time. It'll fill in the gaps. We started to do that. Pinterest yeah. always fills in the gap. Coming up, bonds, shorting bonds. No, not 007, but billionaire investor Bill Ackman making a big bet against long-term treasuries. So does he have the golden eye for the bond market's next move? More on that next, and we will dig into treasury technicals with the Chartmaster, where he sees rates heading when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets Down again today as investors grapple with rising bond yields. The Dow dropping 66 points. The S&P and Nasdaq both posting their third straight day of losses. And let's get another look at Amazon and Apple. Amazon's call is just getting underway. We're still seeing a nice pop there, although off its after our session highs now up 7.6%. Apple, though, widening its losses down by 2.3% um, in the after hour. CFO Luca Maestri seeing a drop in iPad 
in MAC revenues. Let's take a look at the at bonds. Long-term yields continuing their march higher. Rates on the 10, 20, and 30-year treasuries hitting their highest yields since last November. These are moves, I know you would point this out, that you don't normally see in the bond market. No, and you, sh- you don't want to see them. And the re-steepening of the yield curve, which everybody will say is a good thing, actually, historically, that's when you got to start to worry. When it starts to re-steepen, that's when risk assets start to get whacked. We're seeing it now. But the fact that 10-year yields now have gone from 3.4% to 4.2-ish today, approaching levels we saw in the fall of last year, that's no bueno, because I'm telling you, rates aren't going higher because the economy magically is getting better. They're getting they're going higher because there is obviously a concern that inflation is still a problem. So I think the bond market is starting to sort of believe the Fed. The question is, will the stock market start to pick up on it? The last couple of days it has. For more on these massive moves in rates, let's bring in CNBC's on-air editor Rick Santelli. Rick, what's your take on what's going on here, the flight and yields? Well, I think Guy really hit most of the highlights. You know, we're reversing one of the most historic inverted yield curve trades of all time. Over four decades of inversion, we're minus 107, what, maybe seven sessions ago in twos versus tens. Today, briefly, it dabbled under minus 70 at 69, which means it's moved about 31 basis points in six sessions. And all of that has been long dated for exactly the reasons in addition to Fitch, that guy pointed out. And furthermore, we all thought steepening was going to occur, but we thought it would occur by short rates dropping instead of them staying glued, hardly moved in the last six sessions, everything on the long end. Let's go to the charts real quickly. There's a couple important things here. First of all, the fall high for 10-year note yields is 1024, October 24th of 424. For 30-year bonds, it's 438%, same day, and the pattern's the same. So generically, let's look at the wave pattern. You know, we like five impulse waves, waves to the upside. That, in many ways, means that this is very significant, could turn into a double top. This stretched out a bit too long and had a breakout, but still, this is the level on a closing basis. Here's the level on 30-year bond deals, and you need to really pay attention here because people and great investors like Mr. Ackman, will they be correct? We'll have to see. These markets like double tops. But he is jumping on something, and there are so many other traders that are then being the catalyst for unwinding more of that yield curve spread, and it keeps ping-ponging back and forth. Rick, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. How much of this move is because of the Treasury's very large funding needs and then also the, you know, they're going to have to be issuing more longer term bonds? Oh, absolutely. The, the whole T-bill, the whole refunding, the whole restocking of Treasury plays into this absolutely. But what plays into it even more is the notion that inflation uh, pre-COVID most likely we could have gotten back there. But we did many things during and right after COVID, whether it was spending more money or all these rules about EVs and the transition, all of those things are going to keep inflation potentially higher. And the market has to grapple with that. And that's why I think the short end isn't moving and the long end is. Rick, always good to see you. Thanks for joining us tonight. Rick Santelli. What did you think of the Ackman trade? Any thoughts there? He's, he's betting specifically 30-year yields to five and a half. So. Wait, can we just say something? Yes, the TL- you can say anything you want. The TLC, and that's tender love and care, that Rick Santelli put into that chart. The chart is <laughs> the handmade chart. Like, like, like Lily, like, that's Beautiful. amazing. It looked really good. It looked like it was computer generated. Good it was on you, so good. Rick Santelli. That was awesome. Um, 
I can't comment on the trade. I thought it was really interesting that he said he's doing it through options. Okay, so he likes the leverage. And, you know, when you think about the way in which to do that, they're generally really cheap relative to a lot of other risk assets when you're looking at something on Treasury yields. Um, I suspect this is not a new thing. Like, I I suspect he's been on this trade, and we know that when he comes on or he tweets stuff or whatever. It's not generally a new thing, and it could be closer to the end than the beginning. The last thing I just want to say, because you talk about this all the time with credit. Do you remember at Jamie Dimon's Investor Day back in late May, and he said, be prepared for rates that are going much higher. It seems like the smart money have been talking to Jamie. I'm sure your final trade the other day was to sell the TLT. I mean, did he get get you on the blower and, and, and tell you the... the no. no, but okay. I would have taken the call had he Of, called. of yeah. course. Um, but it was interesting. This comment, uh, this was from that meeting, and this goes to credit. He goes, I think everyone should be prepared for rates going much higher, right? But then he had this comment about the easiest way, okay, for a bank not to lose more money is not make the next loan. I thought that was interesting. Oh. So when we're talking about tighter credit, and then what happens in this environment, right? If we see the credit has been tightening. Yeah, the latest in your loan officer survey shows that credit continues to tighten at this point. So um, let's go uh, to Carter Braxton Worth, mm. Worth charting to see what he sees in his own fancy charts, Carter. <laughs> yeah, well, an important point that Santoli made, of course, is that the sequencing and the patterns are all the same, the levels being different within the curve. But let's look at them quickly. And starting with... Um, Uh, long-term, the 30-year, and then moving. We have this well-defined uptrend, and the question is, they all have that top. It's the 21st of October, almost 10 months ago, and do we or don't we exceed those highs? One, and then if we do, do we exceed them in a meaningful way, or is it a head fake only to then fall back again? I'm in the latter camp that we not necessarily get there, but if we do, you don't get much higher. So 30-year, let's look at 10. Let's look at five. You can just roll through the charts. It's all the same setup. Um, Obviously, the two-year, um, is closest to its uh, former high. And, and that is, in many ways, the one that is, of course, um, uh, uh, acted on, so to speak. Uh, but what's important to say this is that Fed funds rate exactly a year ago was 2.5%. And Wall Street was looking for 4.6 from 100 economists. We're now at 5.5. Five. I think just as typically all of us can quite often be behind the facts, we're now um, ahead of the facts. So here's the two and 10-year spread. You have a perfect double bottom. I mean, literally within one basis point, which is incredible. And we're almost up against that downtrend line. Um, my thinking here, this does not go much higher. Oh, all right. Um, and Carter, before we let you go, we've been giving you props all show long about your your call to be long Amazon and, and out of Apple into earnings. What's the update here at this point? Yeah, well, how about, here's an update. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> so just stick with it. Yeah, stick with it. All right. Carter, thank Thanks. you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. He's so eloquent. Yes. <laughs> and Karen. just relaxed always. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so I, I like what Carter's saying. I actually did a trade similar to what that fits with what he's saying in that the TLT has moved so much. I thought, all right, the risk reward has traded now. I'm going to buy some upside. I'm short TLT. I'm going to buy some upside calls which turns that if you watch options action on Friday at 530, you would know that turns the trade into long a put, mm-hmm. not short TLT. Coming up, activist investor Bill Ackman making a big bet on long-term treasuries. But what are the options markets saying about where rates are going? We'll dive into the pits to find out. But first, we'll get you more headlines from the Apple and Amazon calls. Gene Munster has been listening in. He's got all the details. He will join us after this quick break to give us the rundown. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back. Gene Munster is still with us. He's been listening into Apple's and Amazon's earnings call. 
which is really talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows you how much talent Gene's got. Uh, Gene, what are the highlights here? Melissa from Apple's call, they guided the revenue down 3% year over year for the September quarter. That includes the impact of FX. The street was looking for plus one. If you exclude the, uh, excuse me, including uh, excluding the impact of FX, uh, including it, it's uh, going to be down one. So that's the point where analysts are going to change their numbers from plus one to down one. But the reason why the stock is fading is because it's really down three. I think this is getting pretty hyper-focused, but that's why the stock has faded. The positive side is that gross margin is going to be flat quarter on quarter, which is remarkable, because typically from the June to September quarter, it declines by a percent. And I just mentioned that revenue is going to be a little bit lighter. I think it speaks to the incredible cost control. And related to Amazon, this is all about improving and getting the street more optimistic about where AWS is. It's up fractionally kind of from where it was in the aftermarket, but that is uh, that trend that confidence that investors have that this business has stabilized, I think is reflected in what's going on in the stock in the aftermarket. Any commentary, Gene, about um, what they're expecting with the, the 15? No, you know, they don't even uh, say that there's a new product coming. And so there's uh, no, no expectations around that. I would just uh, point out that the the kind of the, the theme there, the, the mood of the call, is more of this like trying to dissect into what's going on in the in the in the revenue growth. It it's it has been much less about what's going on in the bigger uh, picture, which I think speaks to again why the stock has kind of faded. Uh, AI has not come up yet. Uh, they did say Cook did say that they've had uh, tremendous growth in the emerging markets, which include India. China went from down 3% in the March quarter to up 8% mm-hmm. in the June quarter, so saw a nice bounce back there. So I think that theme of India can carry this uh, revenue growth, or at least improve revenue growth for the next few years, at least that data point is intact relative to the June quarter. Gene, thanks. Gene Munster Thank with a lowdown here from both calls. Um, so the revenue numbers have to come down for the current quarter. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, price targets could they could. Well, one other thing interesting, the margin's going to hang in, which says the products right. are going to be down, services not, which will mm-hmm. tweak that ratio a little bit. Um, so that's what's going to keep the gross margin there. But would, that's the direction you want. You just want them both growing. Right. All right. Coming up, we've got the after hours action in DraftKings. The stock is surging on its results. We've got the details right after this. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on DraftKings shares popping as the company delivered a beat on the top and bottom lines. The sports betting company also raising guidance. Contessa Brewer's got the details. Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. DraftKings says it's benefiting from better efficiency. It's spending less on promotion. It is seeing better customer engagement. Monthly unique players up more than 40 percent year over year. Revenue up 88 percent over last year. A big beat in adjusted EBITDA, that's the important earnings metric in gaming, came in at $78 million, more than what the street was expecting. Players are spending more on average, too, and that increased spend per user is reflected in the company's earnings, which exceeded guidance and for which the uh, DraftKings team has raised the midpoint for the fiscal year. One point I want to make about this, DraftKings is proclaiming itself the iGaming leader. Yesterday, we heard from MGM insisting that BetMGM is the market share leader. It depends in iGaming how you slice and dice it. I mean, maybe they should just fan duel it out. It remains that online casino gambling is offered in half a dozen states, but it's hugely lucrative. And so there's some sharp elbows out. Shares up more than 160 percent this year. 
This kind of report puts an exclamation point on all the optimism investors have had for DraftKings, Melissa. You got groans around the desk here. I like it. It's a mom joke. Mom joke worked. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Guy, you're taking. She can get away with it. She does an amazing <laughs> job. So, what are the, when you have letters and you put them together? What do you call those things? Words. No, no, no ac- <laughs> the acronyms. Well, right? words too. So, good, for DraftKings, they, they have something called MUPS, <laughs> which I know this is interesting. So, they call these people MUPS, monthly unique players. Mm. So that number actually was a little light. Here's the rub: monthly unique players, the revenue per MUP. Yeah. was $137. The street was at $121. That's a good sign. People are betting more. That works for DraftKings. Better they figured it out. Mup. Better class of MUP, yeah. as yeah. it turns out. You've ne- that's the first time we've ever used that on Fast Money, the yeah. MUP. I've never heard of that. As well, opposed to so you learn things. <laughs> um, let's turn our attention back to today's bond breakdown on the back of Fitch's U.S. credit downgrade. The TLT long-term treasury ETF dropping more than 2%, and options traders are among the most bearish they have been in years on bonds. So, Mike, what are you seeing here? Uh, Yeah, well, one of the things we're certainly seeing is a lot of volume. Uh, TLT has traded more than double its average daily volume now for three days in a row. But one of the other things I would point out is that we've seen a big increase in options premium. So that's probably not that surprising with the volatility. We would see a big increase in the in the implied volatility. We've also seen a big increase in the price of puts relative to calls. Right now, they're about 15% more expensive to buy a one-month put option that's 5% out of the money than a 5% out of the money call option. One of the bigger trades we saw today was a purchase of 2,400 of the October 94 puts, buyers spending about $2.78 or just under $670,000 in premium, betting that the volatility potentially to the downside could continue. Karen? Yes. Um, well, I liked that call. Yeah, you like yeah. that pricing better, right, to create the put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the move, this, you know, these, these kind of ETFs don't move. A 3% move is a very big move. We've had two or three of them in the last few days. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, for more options action, tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade time, Courtney. As you've been watching energy prices, they have continued to increase. I would take MLPX here. It's a great way of playing the space. Karen. Yes, we talked about it a bunch on this show. Good enough for the final trade. I bought some TLT calls just because I think this run in the last few days is a little too hot. Dan. I actually think you buy TLT. I bought TLT calls yesterday in September expiration, but I'm doing it a little differently because I'm losing money. I'm right. trying to get it back. I'm trying to do, I mean, yeah, 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 the other side of that trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. I think Expedia. Two-day rule, three-day rule. What's your rule? Three-day. All right, so what do you all right, Guy. Earlier in the show, you heard us talking about the great band, the Almond Brothers. We're letting behind, like, what do they call that thing, Dan? Like the fifth wall or the fourth, third. third wall, something like that. Stephanie back in D.C. doing an amazing job with the brothers, Almond. PSX, that's Paul Sam X-Ray in the energy space, like Courtney said. Nice. All right, thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.